Great to see you here this morning. My name's Mark. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central Church. And uh, over recent weeks, I've been preaching through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, if you have a Bible, you may want to find Mark chapter 1, because we're still in chapter 1. But we're going to go a pace today and uh, look to get through to the end of chapter 1 which uh, you may not have predicted when I spent a whole message preaching on verse 1 of chapter 1 a few weeks ago. (laughs) But we're getting some momentum going. (laughs) We'll be done in a few weeks. (laughs) All right, we'll read that in a moment. Jesus has been proclaiming the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. But what does that mean? What is God's kingdom brought in by Jesus? What is it like? Well, We're going to see what that means as we spend today around 24 hours with Jesus in the remainder of Mark 1. Um, Some people, they buy little booklets. I don't know how many of you have these kind of things to go through your uh, daily. Every day with Jesus. I think that's probably about the most popular one. Who's ever had, who's ever bought every every day with Jesus? About three people. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Popular. Maybe it was more popular when I was, when I was younger. I used to have it. Uh, every day with Jesus. Well, that illustration's gone down well. <laughs> Got the internet. All right. I guess we move on. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, today, I thought this was such a great introduction. Today we're going to be doing every day with Jesus. We're seeing what every day with Jesus was like. Let's just move on. Yeah. <laughs> Read the passage. Our, I'm going to move. Our, our daily bread is the equivalent. Our daily bread. Oh, do you have daily bread? Our daily bread. How many people have read our daily bread? Oh. Good Oh, well. We're not on bread, and I might have to preach a different passage. <laughs> All right, let's, let's, let's forget that. Just cut it from the tape and everything. No, we're not even on tape, sorry, we moved on to. Anyway, the passage. <laughs> Verse 21. They came to Capernaum. They went to Capernaum, and... When the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because they taught them. He taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an unclean spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. 
The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he wouldn't let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That's why I have come. So he preached throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. All right, so we're going to look and see what every day with Jesus um, was like <laughs> in, this, in this short period of time in Mark's gospel. Mark is showing us what we can expect from Jesus. He's showing us who Jesus is. He's showing us what we can expect as Jesus comes and brings in the kingdom. And each of these features is going to be developed more as the gospel unfolds. We see that Jesus teaches as part of bringing in the kingdom. We see him delivering people um, from oppression and uh, demonic strongholds. We see him healing, and we see him bringing cleansing to people. And those are the four things that we're going to look at in these verses this morning. So we'll start off with teaching. Teaching. Jesus and the disciples, they travel to Capernaum, and he goes into the synagogue, and he begins to teach and as he begins to teach, people start to comment on his preaching. They say, well, what authority Jesus has. This is incredible. This is new teaching that he is bringing them. And people are commenting on him preaching. This happens all the time to those of us who are preachers. Um, many of you will probably go home and comment on the preaching uh, <laughs> over lunch. Um, <laughs> and the illustrations, and the <laughs> cultural insensitivity, and all of that. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so good. Um, yeah, because sometimes the, 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 what, we, what we preach um, is th things that we struggle with. Um, Paul said it in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16 about himself and other preachers. He says, to the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. To this morning, I hope I'm a, an aroma to you <laughs> that brings life and not death. But because the message is the message of God, sometimes people respond negatively to the preached word, sometimes positively. And that was the same with Jesus as well. Um, you get all sorts of comments. I was in a church in, uh, in the GTA last year, and I was talking to someone who was part of the church, and uh, he was a great guy. I think he's called Steve. He, um, he had some learning difficulties. He, he didn't have a lot of uh, the, the kind of filters that many of us have, have grown to learn um, that we say to people and be, and be kind of uh, super sensitive and polite, which was great. I used to enjoy speaking to him because he was so upfront 
And uh, I asked him, uh, I said, oh, how, is, how has it been since you've been at this church for four years? And he said, oh, lots has changed. Lots has changed in four years. He said, uh, he said Jim, who was the main pastor of the church, he said, his preaching's really grown. He said, I, I get so moved when I hear him preach. I said, that's fantastic, Steve. He said, Jordan, he, said, he was the younger associate pastor, and I was the other one. Um, he said, Jordan, he said, he's fantastic. He's, he's brilliant. I really get a lot from his preaching. He said, he should preach more often. Um, and I, I said, yeah, that's great. And then he looked at me and he goes, to be honest, you should preach a bit less. <laughs> great. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. <laughs> so, you know, you get comments. Jesus got comments. Um, it's immediately apparent that Jesus' teaching here in Capernaum was different from the regular teaching that they had been used to. The teaching that they would have had from the scribes. They would have maybe been presenting different ideas, quoted other people's wisdom, but there was clearly no power in it. There was no authority in it. Jesus taught with authority, and people knew it. People recognized it straight away. Jesus didn't talk about the preaching of others and the teaching of others, but he brought teaching himself. He taught himself. So we see, for example, in, in Matthew um, Chapter 5 on the Sermon on the Mount, um, he says, well, you might have heard other people say these things. You might have heard you shall not murder. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. So he's teaching with his own authority. He's saying, I'm telling you this. Never mind these rabbis, these teachers of the past, but I'm telling you. There's an authority. There's a clarity. There's a certainty. In a world where actually there's a lack of definitive truth, where people would say today, there's no definitive truth, apart from the truth that there is no definitive truth. Um, people would say, you know, there's not a clarity there today. The words of Jesus still stand out. There's a clarity to them. There's a certainty to them. There's an authority to them. And as God's people, our words too must ring clear and authoritatively in our society. For many of us, the teaching of Jesus is difficult. It's difficult. You read the Bible, you read the Gospels, it's difficult. The words from God, the Word of God, it gets under our skin. But we need to wrestle with it. We need to wrestle with it. We need to battle with it. I, would, I always encourage people to do so with a desire to hear from God. Often we can hear what the Word of God says. We can hear teaching um, that comes from the Bible, and we can say, well, I just, don't, I just don't believe that. I just don't believe that's got any relevance today at all. I don't believe it's got any relevance to my life today. And we walk away from what Jesus is saying. Well, that's what many people who followed Jesus did. We see in John chapter 6, and looking at verse 60 and then skipping on, um, Jesus has brought a teaching, and, and it says, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And then it goes on and says, From that time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. 
Sometimes we, we ask questions in our life groups, and uh, Brent gets a list of questions out every week that are suggested questions that can be that can be asked, and sometimes the question will be, well, was there anything in the, in the preaching that you disagreed with or that you struggled with? And that, just to let you know, that's not an opportunity. Oh, great, now we can really lay into the preaching. Um, that's not an opportunity to, to criticize the preacher or, to, or worse still, the Word of God, and they should be one and the same uh, if, if the preacher's faithfully preaching the Word of God. This is actually an opportunity to admit that our desires and preferences are not in line with what God's saying. It's to say, well, I, this is how I've always lived my life, but now the Word of God is standing against this. And so we admit we don't see things the same, but we actively engage with it. We actively engage with it, the Word of God, with the desire that we will come to a greater understanding and knowledge of God. See, we can react in two ways. We can either be like these disciples who say, this is too hard, I can't accept this, I'm walking away. Or we can be like the 12 when Jesus says, well, you know, because they're obviously struggling as well, but what about you? And, and Peter's saying, well, you have the words of eternal life. I know that's true about you. I'm struggling with these things that you're teaching us, but I know that you're the, you've got the words of eternal life. And we've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So we're going to stick with it. We'll, we'll struggle with it, but we're sticking with you, Jesus. And I would encourage us to do that. We choose sometimes. It comes down to this. It comes down to making a choice. We choose to trust Jesus. We choose, choose to trust in his words and agree with him, even when we struggle, because we have come to believe and know that he is the Holy One of God and he has the words of eternal life. And therefore we say, so I'm going to trust him, even if I don't understand it, more than what I feel or what I think. The preaching and teaching of Jesus was the most important thing that he did while he lived outside of his death and then resurrection. Because it's the word of God that changes lives. The Word of God is described in Ephesians as the sword of the Spirit. In fact, Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, the Word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. That's what the Word of God does. It comes in and it's sharp. And it judges our thoughts and our attitudes. Ooh, it's not comfortable. Not comfortable. But it brings change. It brings change. Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, be changed. How? By the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. Have your mind changed. It's the Word of God that changes our mind. It's God's Word that changes our mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. How do we know what God is saying to us? How do we know what the will of God is in our lives? We know by getting into the Word of God and allowing it to change us, 
battling with it, wrestling with it. I don't understand it. Give me an understanding, God. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit so I will understand this and be transformed by my mind being renewed. See, we, we see very early the next morning, just skipping forward to verse 25, um, 35, sorry, the, Jesus goes out to pray on his own. And the previous day has been incredibly busy. We'll come back to that uh, in a moment, what happened the rest of that day. And Jesus needs to make sure he gets time alone with his father and get his perspective clear again, get his focus clear again. And Simon and, and the others come and hunt him down almost. That's the, the, the words almost mean that. They hunt him down. They're looking for him. And there's been lots of things going on. There's been healings and there's been demons being cast out. And, and Simon says, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. Well, of course they are. Of course everyone's looking for them. They want more healing. They want more deliverance. Are they looking for Jesus because they want more teaching? Probably not. Probably not. They're looking for miracles, not words. In, uh, in Matthew 16, I have a slide for this. In Matthew 16, uh, Jesus says, a wicked and adulterous generation look for a sign. People kept coming to Jesus, do another miracle for us. Give us another sign. Jesus said, a wicked, a wicked and adulterous generation look for a sign. None will be given to them except for the sign of Jonah. Herod, Herod in Luke chapter 23, he was pleased to see Jesus, Luke says. Why? Because he'd wanted him to come and do a miracle for him. That's what he wanted. He wanted to see the miraculous. Oh, I've heard about this Jesus. I want to see the miraculous for myself. I want my own private showing, my own private viewing. He's not interested in Jesus' words of truth. He's not interested in that. He wants to see a sign. He wants the drama. These are good things that Jesus was doing. Let's not forget that. But Jesus was saying, it's my word. He says, Jesus says, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. And then he says, that is what I came for. That is what I came for. And yes, along with the preaching are signs and wonders and deliverances and healings and all of those other things. What does he say? I came to preach. I came to preach. He doesn't allow himself to be distracted from his purpose and his call, even with other good things. He just spent time with his father. He knew what he was called to do. There can be lots of activity of God going on, but Jesus doesn't allow himself to get distracted from the most important thing, and we mustn't either. Now, I would love to see more of God healing amongst us. I would love to see more of people being set free amongst us. I would love to see us being more caught up in worship and the gifts of the Spirit and all of those things. And just imagine if we were here on a Sunday morning and someone said, oh, I feel we should start to pray for the sick, and we start to pray for them, and everyone is getting healed. Like, just can you imagine? Person after person coming up, we're praying for them. Wow, I'm being healed. And then the excitement's building and all of that. How many of us, when it gets to around 10.45, would be coming up to Ollie or Joe and saying, you know what, we need to stick with this. We, let's forget the word of God this morning. We need to stick with what God's doing here. That would be a strong temptation, I would say. 
but we mustn't neglect the Word of God because transformation comes from the through the renewing of our minds and not through physical healing. Wonderful as that is. I've seen many people get healed. I've not really changed them. Not really changed them. Transformation comes through the renewing of our minds. We must make sure, and I do believe God's going to move powerfully by His Spirit amongst us. So let's get ready for that. But as we do, let's not just get caught up with what is going to draw in the crowds. Maybe we'll start to get more and more people coming in. Who knows what will happen if God starts moving amongst us. But let's not shy away from teaching God's word, which actually is likely to bring us as much persecution as it will be good reports. And tr but it will bring transformation in people's lives. All right, so that's the first thing, teaching. Secondly, we see Jesus delivering people from the power of, of evil. We see the effects, actually, of Jesus' teaching right away in this passage. So, um, it, uh, by verse 23, it says, Just then, a man in their synagogue who was um, oppressed by an unclean, possessed by an unclean spirit, cried out, What do you want with us? What, do you, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Or actually, maybe a better translation is, You have come to destroy us saying exactly what, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So actually, at a time when many people don't even know who Jesus is at this point, that's one of the things that Mark is saying, many people don't know who Jesus is. They're trying to figure it out. The demons certainly know who Jesus is. You are the Holy One of God, and you've come to destroy us. They know the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus is going to overcome the power that they have. So they interrupt his teaching through this man. Now, this man, it doesn't seem as though this is someone in the synagogue who isn't usually there. This guy was probably there most times that they met in the synagogue. He's not just kind of wandered in, staggered in off the streets. We can get this impression when we read the passage, if we're not careful, that there's this man and he's like, crazy man. And he's just wandered in, burst through the doors, and he's shouting out. Probably not. Probably not. He, he probably wouldn't have initially been seen as someone particular, particularly sinister. He wouldn't have been calling out and screaming to start off with. He probably would have been a respectable Jew who was a, a member of their community. This spirit that is uh, in him, this unclean spirit, wouldn't have been something that was evident all of the time. And we, we sometimes get in our, in our minds this idea that, well, it's just someone who's out of control. Actually, this guy would have probably been able to conduct a pretty normal social life. But he had an unclean spirit, and this unclean spirit oppressed him, held him captive, he just couldn't escape. He couldn't escape from the way that he was. He couldn't escape from the things that he did in certain areas of his life. He was held down by them. He was in bondage, you might say, unable to break free. Perhaps it was subtle. Perhaps it was something which was hidden to everyone else. But he was oppressed. He's got this area of his life that he was powerless to deal with. We often hear things today described as addictions. 
<coughs> whether it's a drug addiction, a sex addiction, pornography, eating addiction, gambling addictions. These are, these are things where, where people have got the inability to exert some discipline and self-control in their lives. They cannot, cannot seemingly overcome them. And often, often coming with it is a demonic stronghold, something which just has got hold of their life and, is, and, and they're unable to break free. And in this man, it was an unclean spirit. So there was some kind of moral impurity with this man. We don't know exactly how that manifested itself. So, as the holy truth of God is being proclaimed by Jesus, the unclean spirit reacts. Because sin cannot coexist with the holiness of God. There's going to be a reaction. Now, many people would have heard the outburst in the synagogue. Jesus is teaching, so you can imagine there's this big outburst suddenly going on. Many people would have thought, we need to deal with this guy. Let's get him out. Let's get him out of the meeting. Let's kick him out of the synagogue. Let's get him away from Jesus. Deal with the troublemaker. Well, actually, Jesus does deal with the troublemaker, but he sees through the noise and the disruption, and he sees who the troublemaker is. He sees the demonic spirit that is troubling this man. You see, Jesus has compassion on the man, and he sees what's going on inside, and he rebukes the spirit. Be quiet and come out of him. And when the power of the Spirit meets the power of the devil, there is only one winner. And the Spirit doesn't go quietly. Demonic spirits rarely do go quietly. It convulses the man, it cries out loudly, but it goes. And the authority of Jesus is once again on display. Now, today, maybe we're skeptical about some of these things. Many people are. Many people are skeptical, actually, about anything supernatural. Well, the Bible teaches us that there is a world that we can't see and that we can't touch. And the power of God dealt with what this man was in bondage in to in a moment. And the power of God can do the same thing today to people who are in bondage. Because we, too, can be held by captive by unclean spirits. Perhaps there are people who've been coming here for 10, 20 years and no one knows the bondage that you're in. No one knows. You've not come in screaming and shouting, and, but you're in bondage. You're in bondage. And maybe you've lost hope of anything changing. Well, the power of God is here today. And he wants to set you free. Jesus wants to set you free. We can end up sometimes spending hours and hours in counseling and getting nowhere when actually someone just needs a word of deliverance, the power of God to set them free. And let's let's be aware of that. Let's be open and willing to God dealing with the things that we're unable to deal with ourselves. Because however much we try, we just know we can't. So some people are skeptical. Now, on the other hand, some people can be preoccupied and see the demonic in every area of their life. Every struggle 
everything that you face, it's like, oh, I'm under attack. The enemy's oppressing me. I'm, and it, some, sometimes you think, man, the enemy must really think that you're a serious threat because <laughs> it's like every single step you take. Um, you know, we, it can be a demon around every corner. And, that, and that's, that's a reaction the other way, an overreaction the other way. C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters wrote this. He said, uh, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about uh, the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And the, and the devils, he says, themselves are equally pleased by both errors. So we, we can go both ways. We can not believe in them, and they think, great, <laughs> we can just do what we want, and no one's going to bother us. Or there's an excessive interest in them. And that's not healthy either. That's not healthy either. We don't need to live in fear. We don't need to live in fear of the enemy. Many Christians feel actually they can never do anything for Christ. I've heard people saying, oh, I can't, I can't serve God on that in that way. So because then I'll be out there and I'll be on the front line and I'm going to get so much spiritual attack. And they just fear the attack that they're going to get. Oh, it's going to be terrible. No, I'm just going to stay down in my bunker and, and, and hide out. Well, there will be attack if we, if, if we advance the kingdom for God. But the gates of hell will not prevail. And if we remain in Christ, we don't need to fear. We don't need to be in fear. Because the power of God is greater. But we don't go in trying to confront them in our own strength. Um, if you want an example of that, you can read Acts 19. And there's uh, seven sons of Sceva, who was a, a, a priest, and they tried to do things in their own strength uh, and deal with demons, and it didn't go well. Um, they kind of got beaten up. So the, <laughs> the power of the devil is greater than our power in and of ourselves. It is. We, we mustn't go there. But the power of Jesus is far greater than the power of the enemy. And if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, if we know Christ and are filled with the Spirit and stand in him, we are able to command them to leave in the name of Jesus in the same way that Jesus himself commanded them to leave. And we can see people set free. So instead of responses of skepticism or fear or overconfidence in ourselves, God's inviting us to a response of faith in his power and his authority as he brings about deliverance. So teaching, deliverance, healing, healing. Thirdly, in our day with Jesus, we see that a sign of God's kingdom advancing is healing. Jesus goes to Simon and Andrew's house for a meal, uh, but Simon's mother-in-law has a fever, and Jesus comes to her, and he comes tenderly to her. You see, he comes in a different way, different way than he deals with the demon. He's not got any compassion on the demon at all. He just commands it to get out, but he comes to this woman who's sick, and he takes her tenderly by the hand, and the fever leaves, and they carry on and, and have their meal. And it says that that evening, many are brought to Jesus. So the word's beginning to spread. We've had these two big signs. We've had the one in the synagogue, and then, which I guess is what people are hearing about, and then there's the, the healing just in the house, but maybe the word's spreading about that as well. And suddenly, it, uh, the, the Bible says, the whole town gathered at the door of Peter's house. I actually went to Capernaum um, as, a, as a student, and uh, we visited 
the, the ruins of the synagogue where they were. And, uh, and then we were shown this house and we were told this is, this is very likely to be Peter's house, Simon Peter's house. And I was kind of shocked, actually, because we'd been going around with our university lecturer, and he'd spent most of the visit telling us, um, oh, you know, we can't be certain this is the tomb that Jesus was buried in. Probably wasn't. And, uh, and you know, we were saying, oh, it's great. We're walking, the, we're walking on the roads where Jesus walked. And he said, no, they were probably about 40 feet below you um, because of all the <laughs> sediment that's going on. We're like, oh, man. And then, and then he takes us to this house, and he said, this is, this is Peter's house. And I'm like, seriously? How do you know? And he said, it's got, they found it. The archaeologists, archaeologists found it. And there's graffiti all over it, which pretty much says it's Peter's house. <laughs> like, oh, wow. I'm like, why would people come and graffiti Peter's house? You know, and all these sites. But, but, I'm th- but then I'm reading this passage and I'm thinking, well, maybe. The whole town's gathered. You know, they're not all going to get in the house. They're all standing outside waiting for Jesus to heal. They're probably like carving things in the house, you know. Oh, Peter lives here. <laughs> anyway, it's just, a, it's n- sorry, it's nothing really to do with this passage, but I thought it was quite interesting um, for me anyway. But they're all standing outside. They're all standing outside the house and uh, the whole city, the whole town. And Jesus is healing many. He's casting out demons. You know, he wants to restore us. He wants to heal. Jesus comes in his tenderness and healing power. I would say let's be expectant to see people healed. It's a sign of God's kingdom advancing. Not everyone's going to be healed. And to be honest, that can put us off. Because we, we, if you put yourself out there to be prayed for to be healed and you're not healed, that, that can be difficult to cope with. It can be a disappointment. And some people just think, well, let's not bother with that at all. Let's not even bother praying for people to be healed by God today because it just sets up expectations that are only going to be disappointed and then we've got to deal with that pastorally. No, it's a sign of God's kingdom. We can pray for healing to come. Not everyone's going to be healed. The kingdom of God isn't fully here yet. When it is fully healed, here, sorry, There will be no sickness. There will be no suffering. There will be no death. So we can see signs of that because Jesus says the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is advancing. He says things like that. Well, how do we know it is? Because we see signs of when the kingdom comes fully and there will be none of this. So we can look for healing. And I pray, I keep praying that God will begin to move more and more in healing power amongst us. And among people who we come into contact with as well, as we go out and preach the word, we want to see people being healed. And finally, cleansing. Cleansing. Finally, we see Jesus here making someone clean. It's a leper. A leper comes to him and begs Jesus, will you make me clean? Now, he was a total outcast because of this disease. It's not a disease that you have much in the West, but it's still very prevalent in many countries around the world, when I went to India, saw a number of people who had leprosy. And it's that disease that uh, affects their nerve endings. It means that they, um, they can't feel pain and often losing limbs and things like that just because they end up uh, doing things which we would, you know, touch something hot, we'd shy away from it. Um, but they're not feeling it and so they get damaged limbs and often quite warped um, features. And 
he was an outcast. Lepers were outcasts um, in society and still are, in, in, as I say, in some places. Now, in Leviticus, we see this about lepers, Leviticus 13, 45 and 46. It says, Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare and he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean! Unclean! He shall be unclean! All the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean. And he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So they were, they were known as unclean. And they, were, they lived, they weren't allowed to live in the towns and cities. They had to live separately. They lived outside of the camp. So here comes this leper. And he comes to Jesus and he kneels before him. And he makes a remarkable statement of faith. A remarkable statement of faith. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, it's important to realize that in those days, it was thought that only God could make someone clean from leprosy. Only God could cleanse someone from leprosy. So we, we see that in, uh, in uh, it might be 2 Kings, not 1 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 7, where Elisha uh, is uh, around and um, Elisha, uh, Naaman, the leper, is sent to the king of Israel. And it says, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, uh, because the king was, uh, he was sent to the king, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? So he's saying, well, I'm a king. I've got a lot of power, but I can't cure leprosy. Only God can cure leprosy. It was thought that only God could cure leprosy. So this man comes and he says, if you are willing, Jesus, you can make me clean. He's seeing who Jesus is. Again, not someone who's part of the mainstream society. He's on the outside. He's being cast out. But he sees who Jesus is. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, Jesus didn't respond to this man like Elisha did. Elisha said to Naaman, go and dip yourself in the Jordan seven times. And then um, he didn't cry out to God to heal him. He didn't respond as the king did and said, well, you're thinking I'm God or something? Who am I to, to, to make you clean again? Actually, in response to the leper recognizing that Jesus was God, Jesus simply said, I am willing. Be clean. He's willing. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus was basically admitting to this man, yeah, I am God. I am the Son of God. Only God can make us clean. Only God could make the leper clean. Only God can make us clean. We all suffer from a form of leprosy. We're all born with a spiritual leprosy through sin. We're born sinful. We're all in need of cleansing. And if we're able to see who Jesus is with eyes of faith, we can come to him and we can be made clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I am willing. And Jesus is still willing. And he is still able. And we will be made clean immediately. 
we can be cleansed by God. Jesus tells the man, don't say anything to anyone. Go and show the priest. This was the only way that the man could be officially declared clean. It, It would give the priests a problem because they'd recognize that Jesus was claiming to be God and actually showing that he was God. And we'll see a bit more of that when we get into chapter 2 next uh, time. Interesting, why did Jesus tell the man to stay silent? Well, a number of things have been suggested. I wonder if it's because of the reason we've already seen. Jesus wasn't interested in making a name for himself. He wasn't interested in having a lucrative healing ministry. He's not trying to just amaze people, build his reputation, uh, gain financially from healings. He's interested in proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And he wants to go from place to place and do that. You know, today, you know what it's like today when people get super famous. They aren't able to move freely without the world's media spotlight being on them. But of course, when people encounter Jesus, they have to speak about him. It's kind of something that just happens. And that's what happened here. This man, he did go around. He talked about Jesus. The result was that everyone was looking for him to heal and deliver them. And it says Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely and desolate places. Interesting. The outcast leper came and was cleansed. And then he's welcomed in. And he could enter the town. Jesus touched him. But at the same time, because of that, Jesus was cast out. He was unable to enter the town. See what's happened? The two of them, they've switched places. Jesus has taken on what the leper had. He's outside. That's what happens in God's kingdom. Jesus comes and he touches our lives. We were unclean. We are outside, we're outside the camp. We are unable to enter into God's presence. But Jesus takes on our uncleanness at the cross and he gives us his clean perfection, his cleanliness. And then he is cast out. He takes on what we had. He is cast out while we are welcomed in. He is rejected. We are embraced by God. This is the kingdom of God advancing. And it's not just for them. It's for now. It's not just those people who Jesus' life changed. It can be ours. We may be in need of being set free from something today which is oppressing us. Jesus is here today and his power defeats the power of the enemy. We may be suffering physically or mentally with sickness. Jesus is here today and he brings healing. We may not yet have experienced the cleansing that faith in Christ brings. And if that's the case, then we stand unclean before a holy God. We are unclean. Yet Jesus is willing to touch our lives and make us clean again. And we can enter into God's presence because Jesus willingly took himself out of his presence, God's presence as he bore our sins on the cross. So we want to invite you this morning to encounter the risen Lord Jesus as we pray and as we worship. We're going to stand in a moment and pray, and I'll pray for you, and we'll worship together. 
But I would encourage you, if you need a touch from the King, if you know you need Jesus to come and meet with you this morning, I would encourage you as we stand, as we worship, to just move out into this area over here. And we're going to have a team of people who will come and they'll pray for you and they'll minister to you and you'll meet Jesus. All right, so let's stand together. The worship band can come back up.